am redeemed and I'm bought with the price for Jesus has changed my whole life oh and if anybody asks you oh just who to be redeemed. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We thank God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it's nice to be in the house of the Lord with the sun shining outside and the temperature nice, and it's good to be a Christian, isn't it? Normally, we'd tell you at this time, just shake hands with one another, but why don't you look at one another and wave at them and <laughs> Amen. Now that Brother Harold can see you, <laughs> I, I guess I'll tell the story, but I guess after his first surgery, he came back home and he looked in the yard and in between, his son works on a few projects, the cars, and in between the surgery, he'd picked up a few other cars and he came to the house and he looked and he saw not two or three is it four or five now? And, he, and Brother Harold looks, where did these cars come from? <laughs> they were always there. <laughs> it's good to see you, Brother Harold. Good to see your family. I'm thankful that God has helped you. Amen. So many needs in the body. So many needs in our midst. But we're so thankful that we have a God who is more than able to help us. Nice to see some of you. I haven't seen some of you for a while, but it sure is nice to see you all. And those that we can't see, may God bless you. May God bless you. I was talking to Brother Jonah Emke uh, just the other day, and he said that on Wednesday at his church, he had 25 people from our church visiting. And I believe there's a number of families that have gone there. And he says, wow, did that ever make a difference? I go, yeah, <laughs> tell the preachers that. It's wonderful. <laughs> and so Brother Jonah is going to be here near the end of the month, so the Lord willing, we'll have a minister for us as well. So, And then next weekend, Lord willing, we'll also be in Kelowna. So uh, taking advantage of the summer while it's still here and uh, also to be in church with the brethren there. Let's just change the... Or uh, Sister Naomi was playing that song earlier, but just was, it was such a nice song. I've always loved this. Just beyond the veil, just beyond the veil, 
You know, we look in this room this morning and we can see one another, but if God could open our eyes just beyond the veil, if we could see like Elijah's servant couldn't see at Dothan, we can look at the trouble of the world, we can look at all of the issues, but if we could see the angels that are camped about us this morning, if we could see that it's God, the Spirit of God that once drove the children of God away from the Shekinah in the Garden of Eden, drove them out, that same Spirit is driving us back to the Shekinah. If we could catch that this morning. So as we change the order, let's just sing this song, such a beautiful song. Just beyond the veil, oh, I long to see your face, and just to see your beauty there, oh, just beyond the desire this morning. Amen. We're going to turn to the book of Revelations, chapter 18. Thank you for the worship and the Spirit and for all being here. Revelations, chapter 18. I'd been taking a couple of services uh, last few Sundays on the last day's spirits, and this will be in the same vein, if we can do that. Revelations 18. We're going to read a good portion of this. I'll, I'll just select some of the verses as we go through. But let's just listen right from the beginning, if you don't mind. Uh, I don't just take this as a form. These verses are all very, very pertinent to where we are right now. Revelations 18, verse 1, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils 
and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every clean and, un- and hateful bird. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to qualify this, but I, I just want to say, first of all, Babylon is not just a city. It's identified in a city. It's not just a historical place, but it's a system. And it is, it is not of God. And there's an, a time here where it's declared It rose in glory, but it's fallen, and now it's become the habitation of devils. I will say the world is infiltrated by devils in politics, in morality, in in entertainment, in, in judgment, in every facet of life. If, if you're feeding on the Word and you're in prayer and you're in the Spirit, you can't help but see that. Verse 3, for all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, this is, is right after Revelation 17, which talks about a woman on a hill Now it's really taking it into the realm of Babylon, but still in a feminine gender. This verse is very important because Brother Branham, this next verse 4, he actually, there was a time in his ministry when he identified this scripture, and and there was a change from the breaking of the seals where He had said, be a good Christian, go to your churches. But after all of that, he came out and he preached the indictment, and this was a scripture he came to. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. Now it's no longer... Just go this, be a partaker. No, you've got to separate now. You've got to come out. For her sins have reached into heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled to her double... How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. God bless his word. You may have your seats. I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open right there. So this is really referring to Babylon. And I, I, I don't believe I would be, I don't have to be a prophet to say we are living in the climax of Babylon on the earth. The Babylon system. Now, that's the first eight verses, and, and verse four is really pertinent to us 
because it says we're in the midst of Babylon, but come out of her. Don't be a partaker with her. And now in, in verse 9 to 19, it actually begins to identify this in a city. And it talks about this great city, Babylon. I'm not going to read all of this. But it talks about her merchandise and the economy and everything that was a part of it. I'll just pick this up from verse 16. And in verse 16, this is now the judgment. It, it gives the conditions, but now it says the judgments. And saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed with fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors, and as many as trade by sea stood afar off, and they cried when they saw the smoke of her burning and said, What city is like unto this great city? Thou hast cast, they cast dust on their heads, and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. Now, you, you could just be through the message and the, what the prophet said. He said, there's no other city on the earth like Rome. And really, if you want to take it, the center of Rome is the Vatican. And, and, and he would make a, a declaration and say, there's a bomb that is coming with the Vatican's name on it. And it will be. It will receive this judgment. So this really, in verses 9 to 19, refers to that. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Now, here's a distinction made again in verse 21. Because the first time Babylon was mentioned, it was a burning, and it was in one hour, and, 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 and it was, it was a, a different kind of destruction. But here, now it talks in different terms. And in verse 21... And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and he cast it into the sea. Thus with violence shall that great city, Babylon, be thrown down and shall be found no more. So this is another Babylon, another city, both part of the same spirit. But it said, if she will be cast down. And then it says this distinction and the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee, and no craftsman and whatsoever craft be shall be any more in thee, and the sound of a millstone shall be no more at all in thee. So it's making distinction of the destruction. You won't see, uh, in verse 23, says, the light of a candle shall, so a candle can't burn, no sound will be heard. That only happens when it's in the water. And you can talk right out of the message when a prophet with the Spirit of God declared, 
Los Angeles, Los Angeles, repent. That's another eptimum of Babylon. Now a man named Hislop years ago wrote a, story, a book called The Two Babylons. And really, these are the two Babylons. I want you just to stay with me on verse 23 and 24. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And it says, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets, the saints, and all that were slain on the earth. I want to take out of this from verse 23 where it says the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. I'm giving this a little lengthier title, but I want to call this the unfolding inspiration of the bridegroom and the bride in Babylon. Now, I had you be seated, but I, I'd like to still offer prayer, so if I can ask you all to bow your heads, if you don't mind. Heavenly Father, as we've read these words, Lord, I, I couldn't even read these words except, Lord, you'd opened our eyes, except you had come, except you had sent a prophet, except that you had unlocked the keys to the Bible. Father, I'm coming now and asking, we've not just gathered to put in time, but Lord, we recognize the world is sinking into an abyss, and we're still here, Lord. Father, may we receive our portion while we're yet here today. I pray now, Lord, that you would take every contrary spirit and put it aside, Lord. Take every distraction and put it aside. Lord, I ask your anointing be upon us all. Father, we're under the anointing of the Elijah ministry. We're here declaring, and as the prophet declared, the, the bride would be the final voice to the final age. Furthermore, he would say, that, Lord, the, the, the prophet, what the spirit would be saying, the prophet would be saying, and the bride would be saying. Lord, may we be found in those words even this morning. I pray now, may you anoint us and bless us for service in Jesus' name. Amen. I was out with some family and on Friday, and they were telling a little bit of my grandmother, who was a godly woman and was a real inspiration to much of the family. She grew up in what would be Russia, even in the time that the Tsar was there, and then the overthrow, and Lenin, and had to flee. And, and she had a grandfather, and the grandfather was a man who sat in the corner, and he read his Bible all the time. And he told my grandmother when she was a young girl at the age of five to eight years old, and he would say, I may not see it in my time, but you will see it or your children will see it. Israel will become a nation. And she lived to see it, and, and certainly her children and grandchildren have lived to see it. But she also would say at the age of eight, she, she had a dream and 
and she saw the Bible on the table, and there was a lock on the Bible, and it took a key to open it. And when that, was, that key was opened, and in the context of the dream, she said, this will happen in your day. Now, I don't know if we can appreciate what we have this morning. Friends, we would be nothing except God had unlocked this to us. So this morning as we look at it, we don't look at it boastfully or with knowledge, but Lord, thank you for sending your word to me. Thank you for putting this in my heart this morning. Thank you that in the midst of this Babylon system, I can be found, not Lord in the contrary part, but in the unfolding part. I'd like you also turn with me to Joel chapter 2. I know I've had a lot of reading. I, I could read much of Joel, but I'm going to read just a couple of verses to preserve time. Joel is a book of restoration. Joel chapter 2. Let's just pick it up in verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Now, just to make clarity here, often in the Old Testament when you read about Zion, Zion refers to the bride. So, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, those that suck the breasts, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Now, you can take those words together, and, and there is a context of the bride and the bridegroom, and if you follow it through in the Scriptures, there are probably about 10 or 11 verses in the Bible that refer to both of these together. And, and, and one of them was in Revelations 18, the other was in Joel where we read, there's another one in, in John chapter 3, which I won't refer to or have you turned to, but it's John when he's declaring unto the people that are there and to those that are witnessing his ministry and what he is, because he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he would make this declaration, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him. Now, John the Baptist was a type of Elijah. He fulfilled a part of the Elijah ministry. He says, I'm not the main player in this story. It's the bridegroom and the bride, he says. And, but the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice Therefore is my joy fulfilled. So John rejoiced not to hear his own voice, but the bridegroom's voice. And he knew, you know, if you refer to somebody as a bridegroom, it's, it's impending or it's telling of something that is soon to come to pass. If you're a bridegroom, there's got to be a bride somewhere. If you've been given this designation as a bridegroom, there's got to be a bride also. So if he is the groom, there must be a bride. 
And in this last day, this message was the calling of the bride. And as John was a faithful messenger, so was the prophet fulfilling Eliezer's role to choose a bride for Isaac. So we are identifying with it in this context. Now, I'm going to background this a little bit. And, uh, and, and again, my, my subject is under the context of last day's spirits. He said, this Laodicean age is the grandest of all the ages, but it's the most sinful age. It's, it's the ending of time and blending of eternity. There is more sin in this age than ever has been before. Now, it's given nice names. It's taught. It's bred into every aspect of society, but it's still sin. And it says the powers of Satan is many times harder to fight in this age than any other age. And then in Satan's Eden, Brother Bram said, Oh, what a perversion, what an age, how deceitful it is. A perfect, perverted spirit is in the man. He is veiled from the lust of Satan. The woman is too. It's the satanic spirit of a great society. See, they don't know it. Now, he'll make the distinction in a prophetic form of the natural man, but he said it's a spirit that's on the age. Women with shorts on belong to an organization. Men dress like that in an organization, and he refers to it as the same spirit. So in order to sort of take this, I, I want to approach it, first of all, maybe from the subject of the atmosphere. Because we are living in an atmosphere that is contrary to everything we believe in. And, and I would say we are creatures of time. We can be influenced. Uh, you listen to the news enough, you'll be influenced by what you hear on the news. Uh, and, and, and some of it's correct, some of it's twisted, some of it's turned, some of it has an agenda. But if that's what you listen to, that's what you'll be dominated by. If you feed on sports, you'll be dominated by the spirit of sports. If you feed on, 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 on media chats, and I'm not saying you can't, but if your life is dominated with that, there's a spirit that comes out of that that will bring you and lead you certain ways. You can't help but be influenced by what you see or what you hear. Are you all here this morning? If you participate, it'll, be, it'll help the service. It'll, it'll bring it to where God wants to go. Not where I want to go, but where He wants to go. So if, if you feed on those things, and I would say by the same context, you know, you have to feed on some of those things. You have to understand some of those things. But by the same context, if you feed on the message, if you feed on the Word of God, I, I tell you what, I, I like to make it a part of my fabric whenever I can. I sometimes go to bed with headphones on listening to a message. I'll go for a walk listening to a message. I'll read something. I'll study something. And you know, as you stay in that realm and as you do those things, inspiration begins to come. God begins to lead you in ways, and you ask, where did that come from? Because there's a spirit attached to everything that we do. The world has a spirit attached to it. It. Everything has a spirit attached to it. Now, Brother Benham would talk in the natural about atmosphere. So he would talk about the earth that we dwell in. And he would say the earth is contaminated. And he says where once pretty mountains grow, now she's cut up with all kinds of things. Where once they're, 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 the, the waters flow free, they're contaminated. He says the earth 
is, is perverted by devils tearing it up. It is a perverted creation. Now I'm thankful there's still places where you can go and find a measure of purity and pristine. I, I never fail to remember a couple we met years ago while we were in, in the Banff area and we were standing at a lookout and this couple drove up and they had United States license plates. They'd lived all of their lives in Chicago or, or New York somewhere. And the furthest they'd ever gone west is Chicago because they thought that's as far west as you could go. Uh, you know, it's, uh, that, <laughs> you know, at uh, any rate, so they decided one year, hey, let's go a little further past Chicago. They ended up going all the way into Montana. They drove all the way out to the West Coast. They came through the Rocky Mountains, and, 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 and they were just blown away that this actually existed. And they came through the Rocky Mountains and the, and the wonder, and they'd stopped at this place called Lake Louise, and they sat at the parking lot, and they watched the water coming down and said, this is amazing. I'm so glad we came here. And they were ready to pull out, and they said, well, maybe we should walk up to the lake. So they walked up to the lake, and then they spent another three days there. Now, we, we thank God for those places. And Brother Bannon would say, in the millennium, I want to live in that kind of a place. I want to be there. The, the natural man longs for that kind of an atmosphere, that kind of a release. We weren't meant to dwell in the world that we dwell in with all its pressures and with all its stresses. That's not the real world. That's not, that's Satan's Eden. That's, that's man's creation, but that's not God's creation. So this couple were standing there, and we were just talking to them, and they, and they just were just amazed by all of this. And, 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 they, and they said, well, do you come out here often? He said, we try and come out as often as we can because we love the mountains. We, we love those places. So Brother Adam would talk about how those, there's a contamination, and you've, you've seen places. I've been to places that are pristine, but where, where waters and, 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 and such you know, we're, we're pure, and now they're filthy, and now they're contaminated, and, and wildlife. And, and Brother Bannon would talk and say, this is the groaning of the earth. Nature is groaning. The trees are, are groaning. They're looking for something. He says, the ground stinks. She's bathed with innocent blood. And he would begin to take this over into a spiritual realm. And he said, you know, even he, he spoke a message, broken cisterns. And he says, what was pure water became contaminated. And he says, that's what man is drinking at when it comes to the word of God. He said, it, it, it's now, it's just a stopover. You scoop a little water out of the top, hoping that you don't get any bugs or things. But it's become contaminated. And he says, that's the church world. What was a pure water has now become contaminated. And he says, oh God, give us that real thing fountain of life. He would actually go a step further in future home and he would say the atmosphere that is around the earth, the sin that's upon the earth will be, will be destroyed. Do you realize the heavens means the atmospheres? So then thicknesses, the thistles and sickness and death and politics and sinful men and women and evil spirits will all be gone and annihilated and it will still be a fit place to live. He says, now, everything that's in existence, he says, in the earth now, man-made systems, politics, sin, all kinds of evil spirits that the world is contaminated with and all the heavens above us is contaminated with evil spirits. So he would... He, he would go into it in this message. I, I'm, I'm just picking a few things to, to set where we're going. 
He says, now all of this exists in the heavens or the atmospheres and the earth, but the earth wasn't created for that. It's been perverted. And he says, we were created to be on the earth, out of the dust of the earth. God had it. He had us in his mind, his, this great attribute. And he says, we were meant to be here, but sin caused all this to happen. And now God, through the ages, is gathering up his material. Now, I, I, I need you to, we don't, we don't even recognize maybe the level to which we live in the world around us, what, how perverted it is. And now it's coming to a head. And, and Brother Branham would say now, Satan is still here. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he says that's the reason all these things happen. All his evil forces are here. That's why the earth is so filthy. That's why the scum and the ridiculous things that goes on bloodshed. Now, he's not just talking natural, but he's, he's saying war, politics, sin, adultery, all kinds of filthiness goes on because Satan is the ruler of this earth. Now, you can go find a nice place and you can find a little place that you can live in or dwell in and be away from it, but the contamination is still around us. I, I've kind of I've always marveled how, you know, you go into the rural areas and, you know, here's this nice setting. It's a cabin and, you know, there's a, a view, there's a lake or there's something there and fireplace and some. And then you see this dish. It's a dish. And that dish is bringing in all kinds of contaminants. And I'm talking satellite dish. And it's bringing in all kinds. So you can be away from everything, but you're still feeding on that garbage. It's available. I, I said, demons have invaded the world through Hollywood, through the internet, through all of these mediums. And Brother Adam just goes right to it. He says, the heavens and the earth are contaminated with devils. Now here's where it gets right to us. That accuse us before God. So these devils are there accusing you. Sometimes you have a thought and you think, you, you're not doing this right, you're doing this. And it's the devil accusing you. I, listen, we all get down. Brother Branham had the blues. We all have it. We get discouraged because that's the devil's job. But we have to recognize his tactics. We have to keep ourselves out of that atmosphere. And if you keep yourself, you know, and I, I go right back to what Brother Branham said, you know, that there's a man, you know, there, that a man can so live close to God that the devil cannot do anything to that man. What is it? You bring yourself an atmosphere you live in. You create the atmosphere you live in. And out of that atmosphere, you can walk with God. And I say, you will need that atmosphere if you walk in this world today. You can't just go drifting about, you're going to get bombarded somewhere. And I'll tell you right now, the enemy is working as hard as he ever has. If we have a weak spot, the devil is attacking that with all that he can. We've got to keep it covered. I've got weak spots. I've got to keep them covered. Yours might be different than mine. He says, the, the heavens and earth is contaminated. But then he makes this statement, 
Jesus is there to intercede for us. The accusers keep pointing a finger. They did this, they did this, they did this, but the blood still covers. You know, Brother Branham would actually talk about a time that he was in a prayer line. I, I can't come down there because we we're observing what we're, we're doing, but he was down in a prayer line and he called one of the brothers to come up and pray with him. And he says, and the brother said after to Brother Branham, he said, I came up to pray and about the time I came up to pray, I had filthy thoughts and, and things just coming, bombarding me. And Brother Branham said, oh, he says, that was meant for me. You just got in the way. Now, you talk about a devil that hates what God is doing. You live a godly life. Every gun in hell is trained on you. But there's a God who stands for his people. There's a God who's going to watch over his people. Brother Branham had a man who, who came and, and he wanted to talk to Brother Branham. But he, and, he, and Brother Branham had to actually intercede for the man because the man... Uh, he, he didn't have confidence to come to Brother Man. He, says, he said, Satan's been telling you a lie about me. Now you think, that's the devil's job to separate fellowship for us to lose confidence in one another. And I'll say we need to keep our confidence in, in brothers and sisters, in what God is doing, not to take Satan's tactic, but we need to be on our knees in prayer. So when we look at a brother, we're not just looking at the outward, because there sometimes there is wrong things. But we're looking at the motive and the spirit that is dominating somebody and what they're trying to do and discerning that. And saying, no, Lord, that's my brother. That's my sister. They didn't mean to do that. And you know what? Then you have a mighty army that's rising up. So Brother Branham would actually talk about it. And he would say this in, 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 in the message. And he would, he would talk about it even as he goes a little further. And as a brother would come to him. And the brother starts to, to talk to him a little bit. And he says this. And Brother Branham would talk about it. And he, he would say to this, this brother, he would say to him, Okay, I had the quote, now I've lost it. But he would just say, don't let Satan tell you that. He'll tell you there's this, there's this. He's, there's much wrong with me. There's many things I have. But he says, it's not me. He says, look at the message that God is pointing to. And I'll say this, in many things we offend. We offend people. And I say we have to be careful to discern between the spirit and the action. Sometimes it's a son of God that is, 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 is trying to do the right thing, but it doesn't look like that. The Bible even talks about it as the motions of sin. So when we were in the world, you know, doing things, the motions of sin, sometimes those motions take years to call out. Sometimes those motions, so we need to give grace for where somebody's at, where they're moving, where they're going. We need to encourage, we need to help, we need to be able to help one another. God had patience for me. He still does. And I say, oh God, help me to have patience for my brother and my sister. Help me to be a father to my children. Help me to be a husband to my wife. Help me to, oh Lord, be the gatekeeper of my home. Now, so the atmosphere that we are in. And, and I, I, there's, there's so many thoughts that I, 
I, I need to just condense them to, to stay on track a little bit. I went for a walk yesterday a couple times, and I listened to God of this evil age, and I've probably studied it and listened to it. Brother Branham would say in here, God is taking a people for his namesake. That is a bride in this evil age that should be called for his namesake. By grace, out, and it's called an evil age. Now, it's not a church, it's a people. So don't hide behind a church. Don't hide behind a movement. Rely on God and you in a relationship. Now, he says, he would go on to say, why would God call a people out of this evil age for his name? He said, the reason is to try her. Now, I'll, I'll drop this in. I'll come back to it. But in Revelations 18, the voice of the bride and the bridegroom will be heard no more. It's still in the land. And where the first Eve fell was by not standing behind all that Adam said. This Eve will not fall because she will do what the first Eve failed to do. Friends, I, I've made mistakes. I've stumbled. But as the pressures increase, as things come around, and it drives me to my knees, I say, Lord, I don't understand, but I believe every word you spoke. I don't have a voice. You're, my only voice is your voice. As a minister of the message, I don't have my own voice. I don't have my own opinion. I don't have my own agenda. My only agenda is what, Lord, you make real to me. So he says, this Eve, when she is made manifest, tried, been proven, proved to Satan. And he says, like it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end. This Eve will not fall. He goes on to say, this evil age is to prove to Satan, she is not like Eve. She is not that type of woman. She will be tried by his word, the bride, as Adam's bride was tried. And Adam's bride believed every bit of the word, except she was confused on one promise, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I, I could read much. I, like I said, as you read these, hear these messages Friends, it brings you into a realm where you can see things. You see the world more clearly. You see the spirits more. Discernment is not, is, there's a gift of discernment. I understand that. But we're all called to have a measure of discernment. Discernment comes by feeding on the word. Does, that will give you discernment. That will give you power to withstand the enemy. And, and we need to be feeding. It's our very life. Uh, otherwise, we're tossed about. And in Babylon, it's now not like it was in ages past. It's now a time you've got to come out of it. You can't remain in it. You can't like you did in past ages. It's come out. This is the calling out of the bride. So much. We, we could go into these things. Uh, but I, I, I just need, need to move it along. Now... I want to just talk a little bit about the atmosphere. I'm going to use a couple of scriptures. We, we use this in, in the past 
about a devil is harmless until he can have someone to work through. So he's looking for someone to work through. So we need to recognize sometimes there's a vessel, and we could take Paul for a moment. He was called Saul. But while the devil had him by knowledge, by all of those things, he wrought great havoc on the kingdom of God. But once God got a hold of him, he was an instrument for God to be used. Now, it was the same vessel. We could have pointed him as Saul became Paul, but he was a vessel. Now, I, I want to just kind of just drive this part about the atmosphere. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. You would all know this, but as we move into an atmosphere to catch an inspiration, 2 Kings, this is in chapter 5. Let's just read this account. Sometimes it's, I, I think it's important. We sometimes think, okay, Brother Branham spoke that. I know that message. We don't know it in the light of the moment we're walking in. And there's, there's an eternal aspect to the Word of God. There's revelation that's coming out of it. So is it with the Scriptures. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman, the king, the, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, the leader of the army, he was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Now, leper, leprosy is a form of sin. Uh, a leper in the Old Testament, that was one of the worst diseases. In other words, you had to self-quarantine. <laughs> you had to... Uh, you couldn't come in contact because it was extremely contagious. So leprosy was what this captain had. And now, you know, it's amazing that the Scripture, which talks about Israel and talks about all the things that are happening in Israel, now goes over to Syria. You know, one of Israel's enemies. And here's this man that is there. But there's an inspiration God's beginning to attach. And, and it starts with an atmosphere. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and they'd brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, a little girl. And she waited on Naaman's wife. So this was a little girl who'd grown up in Israel, grown up in a godly home. She comes into this home of this captain. She's waiting on Naaman's wife. And... And she must have seen the situation. And she maybe saw Naaman's wife crying. And why are you crying? He says, my husband's a leper. He's a great man, but he's a leper. And, and as she's sharing this with this little girl. Now, I, I need to just say something. This girl had probably grown up in an atmosphere, in a home. She'd been taught things. She'd, things had been taught right. You know, God's not looking for us to be mechanical or robotic. Like the angels. You know, the angels, they, they, they just, they're built with this. They worship God and, and praise Him. But, but there's something underlining. If we have a life of God, it's inspirational. It's unfolding. It's like the seventh seal. It, it, it goes up, it explodes, and out of that comes seven other. They explode. They keep going. It doesn't stop. And, and the inspiration behind the Word of God, it doesn't stop. It's carried right down to this age. It carries into your lives, our children's lives. And it keeps unfolding if we stay in the right atmosphere. Yeah. 
this woman, this little girl, and as this, this Naaman's wife is crying, she, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she says this in verse 3. She said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now, Jesus would go to this. I, I won't, re, won't go to it, but if you go to Luke chapter 4, verse 27, Jesus talks about, you know, how the, the Bible was sent unto certain ones. And he says, there wasn't a single case of leprosy being hailed in Israel at the time of Elisha except for Naaman. Now, how did that happen? There was no scripture. There was no reading. There was nothing. You know, in the handbook, the little maid, you're, if you're in captivity, this is what you say. No, it's a life that's within us. It's the Spirit of God. It's unfolding. You live in that. You say things in prayer. You begin to take ownership. It's God's life in you. This little maid, she says that. She says, oh, where did she get this inspiration from? It was the atmosphere she was living in. And as she lived in it, she said this. And, and you know, she just said it in the innocence of a child. And then in verse 4, And one went in, and they told the Lord and said, Thus and thus saith the Lord, that is the, the maid that is out of the land of Israel. So Naaman goes to the king of Syria, and he said, um, Go write a letter to the king of Israel, verse 5. I'm just going quickly. Take... Ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, ten changes of raiment. And he brought a letter to the king of Israel and said, This is a letter from Naaman. He says, He desires that you would help him recover of leprosy. The king gets this letter and he reads the letter and he rips his clothes. Am I a god? And he says, To kill and to make alive? This man is asking me to recover somebody of leprosy. He's trying to pick a fight with me. <laughs> Now, if only that king could have been living in the same atmosphere that that woman, that little girl was living in. And, and so, he's trying to pick a fight with me. And, and it so happens that Elisha was there in verse 8. And when Elisha heard that the man of God had heard that the king of Israel rent his clothes, he sent to the king and said, why did you rip your clothes? He says, let him now come to me and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Oh, friends, when we dwell in that place, it was Moses who was there. He'd seen the mighty miracles. He, you know, Moses, by inspiration, did certain things. But he did a lot of things by vision and because God told him. But there had to come a time in Moses' life where it wasn't just mechanical anymore. Where that which he was feeding in, the spiritual realm he was dwelling in, that was going to, he was going to become the voice. He was going to become the final voice to the final age. And Moses, he comes down to the Red Sea and he's going, oh God. You know, God had destroyed all of the things that were there, all of Israel. Now they're in a pressure point and God put them to that place. And he says, now you speak. Why are you crying? You speak. We are going to need to exercise our voice, our faith. We can't just rely, where did it come here? I'll tell you what, I'll feed on the tape. Sometimes I'll just repeat some very phrases Brother Branham said. Other times I'll say them in my own words, but they're just as inspirational. Now, I'm not saying I'm, I'm on the level of, no, I'm not, but I'm a son of God. 
as much as this little maid was in a house. Numbers 25. You know what I like about the Bible? It's a living Bible. This is not history. This is just as real. Numbers 25. Now we see here a story where Israel comes in contact with Moab. We know the beginning of Moab was an adulterous affair through uh, Lot with his daughters. And there was a prophet that rose on the scene and he had signs and wonders. He actually had the same anointing as Moses did. His name was Balaam. But this Balaam, as much as God told him not to go, this Balaam, he took what was an error and it became a teaching, it became a way, it became a doctrine. And he was inspired by another spirit to teach Israel to commit adultery. Now, adultery is a final act of, of disobedience. Let's, let's just read here. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. What was it? They were brought into the atmosphere of sexy-dressed women with no godliness, and as they were dwelling in that atmosphere, their thoughts started to come. Now, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, how much of a son of God you are, you're still in the flesh. You feed on videos of the world, it'll bring you into that atmosphere. You, you look on billboards, you look at women in, in the world, it'll bring you into that atmosphere. And that's why brothers said, take a cross. And if you have trouble with it, pray and seek God. Give me more of you, Lord. This is prevalent in this age. It affects every one of us. And he says, And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat, and they bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, so they joined themselves. They were married. If you would take the ages from Ephesus and, 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 and into, as it goes down each age, it comes to the age of Pergamus. Pergamus meaning thoroughly married. So what was an atmosphere with a Nicolaitan spirit began to be a teaching, a doctrine, into Pergamus where it began a marriage. It's the same principles, it's the same spirits in this age. We're married to one. We're married to one. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the heads of the people, hang them up before the Lord against the sun until the fierce anger of the Lord be turned away from Israel. And, and you know, everybody's looking to Moses. What's Moses going to do? You know, and he says to the judges, slay every one of his men that were joined to Baal Peor. Now, this is God's wrath and judgment coming on a situation. But in the midst of there, there's Moses' voice, but there was others that caught the inspiration, that had dwelt in the atmosphere of the prophet of God. And in verse 6, behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought out of his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle. So 
Think about how callous, how far away that the conscience had been seared, that there was no element of holiness. But now in the sight of Moses, I'm going to take this woman into my tent. I'm going to openly display this contempt for God. That didn't happen in one step. But it grew and it grew and it grew. And so as it grew, and, and, and he was doing all of this, and, and listen, this was not just, you know, an off-scouring. This was one of the princes. And about that time, there's a young priest sitting over there. Phineas, and he's praying, and he's weeping. He lifts his eyes. <laughs> Something rose up. <laughs> Give me a spear. And he runs over there. And he goes into the tent. And if you read the next verse, he says, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, he rose up from the congregation. And he took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent. And he, and he speared them. Now, they were laying together because the javelin went through both of them. And somebody said, Moses, look what Phineas, this guy just killed somebody. But look at what did God see. And after he did that, verse 8, the last part says, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. This world is so wicked. I will say this. I'm thankful the Spirit of God is still here. I'm thankful there's praying men and women of God. And I say, whether you realize it or not, but you're holding back the wrath of God right now. Your prayers for your family is protecting them. Your prayers crying for righteousness is still protecting the earth. When the bride is taken up, when the voice of the bride and the bridegroom is taken up, oh, this world will so be filled. That's when you're going to see a city that's bombed. That's when there's going to be a city that is cast into the sea. When the voice of the bride, the two are linked together. But for this moment, for this time, we are here for a purpose. There is still seed that is there. And we've got something to fulfill. We're not here trying to... We're here on business for the king. Amen. Verse 11, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel. While he was zealous for my sake among them, I have consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, I give him a covenant of peace. Now look, look at how this so pleased God... He says, he shall have it and his seed after him. And he says, and ever, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God. The music is more important than everything. Everything. And he made an atonement. And then it tells the name of the woman that was slain. And then it tells the prince of the chief house of the Simeonites. You can go and read another portion of this in Psalms 106. And it says about Phineas in verses 28 to 31, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. In the midst of perversion, 
How do you have that? You need to be in a place where there's an atmosphere and an inspiration. Let's go and take another one for a moment. There's, there's many places, but I'm going to take this one. 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'm, I'm trying to make a point. Are you with me this morning? Oh, it's warm up here. Isn't that feel good? <laughs> it's not warm down there? Come on up here. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, this is, this is kind of an interesting thing. and I've, I've been taking some scriptures out of the Psalms that actually are, uh, that are been inspirational, David. But I want you just to look at David here in this as it's recorded in the scripture. In verse 21, verse 1, Then, David, then came David to Nob, to Abimelech the priest. And Abimelech was afraid at, afraid at the meeting of David, and he said to him, are you alone and no man with thee? So the reason he was afraid is because Saul had a witch hunt going. And, he, and no one was immune to the spirit that was on Saul. It was an evil spirit that was on Saul. And all the nation was trembling because of what was on Saul. And David said to Abimelech, The king has commanded me a business, and has said to me, Let no man know anything of the business whereof I sent thee, and I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my service. Now, if you actually look at that statement, it's probably not quite truthful. But David was anointed of God. And if you would examine David's actions here, you would look at them and you would say, You know, the legalistic quarter would rise up. What in the world is he doing going to the priesthoods and asking for food? They only have food for priests. But David was hungry. And God allowed the hunger and the situation to get to such a point that he became desperate. Now, now it, it, to the legalistic core, they'd say, ha, huh, he's not even a believer. But David was walking under inspiration. There was a spirit that was on David foreshadowing something that would come. Now all of the Old Testament is written that way. It's not just history, but why did do such an... I, I've looked at... I'll take a, 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 maybe a study on a Wednesday night. Read Deuteronomy and read the law and the little things you're required to do under the law. Leave a little bit of the grapes... For the neighbor. You know, things that, you know, to a Jew would be difficult to do. Now nah, I gotta pluck everyone. But God was showing an oncoming spirit, the law being the shadow of good things to come. So David, he says, the king commanded me, and, and he says, he's appointed me. Verse 3. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in thine hand, or what there is present. And the priest, I mean, David must have been hungry and desperate. And the priest said, there is no common bread under my hand, but there is hallowed bread. Now David didn't know that at first. And he says, but God allowed it to be that way. And if thy young men have kept themselves at least from women, and David answered the priest, of a truth, these men have kept themselves for about three days since I came out, the vessels of of the young men are holy. The bread is in a matter common, though it were sanctified this day by a vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread, but the show bread was taken, to, taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken. And now David did this. It just seems like, you know, this is recorded. There's nothing about it. But there's a spirit that's identified here. 
Now, I want you to jump with me over to Matthew chapter 12. Are you with me this morning? Matthew chapter 12. Here comes Jesus himself. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. David was the epitome of a king over Israel. But the real king was the Lord. So David, some of what he did was in a spiritual realm, and though we couldn't understand it with words, but now here comes the same spirit acting out in a greater way. And here comes verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day. You know, I, I love how he did that. He healed a man purposely, not on the Friday, but on the Sabbath day. Why? He allowed it to come to a head. And at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. And when the legalistic corps saw it, you're out of church order. You're not doing it, but I'm operating under inspiration. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus says, hang on a second, guys. Did you not read what David did when he was hungry and those that were with him? So now Jesus isn't even talking himself. This is my disciples. I've allowed them to do this. They're part of me. They're operating under the same spirit as me. And he says, or, he says, and, he, and he's referring to what David did. Or, did you not read in the law? And he begins to go to another example. But he refers specifically to David. And he says, what David did was entirely rightful to do. And I'm operating under that same spirit. Now, I, I, I go back to even how the disciples were. One time they were walking and said, with Jesus, they said, hey, there's two guys over there. You know, they're preaching the gospel. They're doing things. They're not even with us. Shall we call down fire of heaven upon them? He says, you don't even know what kind of spirit's on you. And sometimes we get the same way. Hey, those people, they don't believe the message like I do. How do you know that they might not? And how do you know you're right? We're all working towards a common goal. Uh, in the last number of years, I, I, I pray there's some people I work with that have done good things and have a right spirit. And I have prayed that the blessing of God would go back on them. And I'm saying, Lord, even if they don't see this message, but I say, Lord, if they go into a tribulation, watch over them. Protect them. Be with them. I think we need to expand the love of God. It's not just limited to my con my our church. My way of thinking, it goes way beyond that. And we need discernment of spirit. Now, let's just do one more before I jump into something else. Matthew 26. This is, to me, I'm just using these examples as an atmosphere and inspiration, and I'm probably laying too much of a runway here. I think we've taken off now. Like if you're talking in plain language, P L A. I-N, or P-L-A-N-E, language, either one. We are taking off. Okay, Matthew 26, verse 21. 
This is now Jesus with his disciples. And he's talking with all his disciples. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And they began, every one of them, to say, Lord, is it me? It wasn't accusing. They were searching their own hearts. And he answered, He that dipped his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. That's actually a scripture that's in the Bible. Jesus picks it up. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. So there was a vessel. There was one that was called to fulfill a position. Pharaoh was called to fulfill a position. There, there had to be a pope. There had to be a Herod. There had to be a Pilate. And they had to be open for a spirit to enter him. And there also had to be a Judas. So in verse 25, as Jesus is saying this to all his disciples, then Judas, which betrayed him, said, Master, is it I? Now, this is amazing to me. You know, am I the one who's going to do this? You know, and, and he's asking the question. He could have said, get this spirit off of me. He could have said, Lord, if, I, I, if I've, I've been wrong, I, I've been holding, hiding things. You know, I've been, I've been scheming and been plotting things. But it, it's coming to a head. Is it me? I, 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 say, I, I almost marvel at how brazen the enemy becomes. With what thought and with what purpose. There's a question that Brother Branham was given, and if you look up the word fierceness, there's about 14 quotes, but he says, the spirit that we've been given, he says, God gave us the Holy Spirit to, to help us in our churches, in our homes, in our families, to withstand the evilness of the day, and then he uses this word, and the fierceness of the day. Friends, there is rising up a fierceness among the people. It, it, it's, it's so close to a tipping point with so many. What is it? The atmosphere they are living in, the atmosphere that they're coming to, is bringing them to this. A pre-tribulation mindset. Now, I, I was going to put this on PowerPoint. I don't have a chance to do that right now. But I, I, I want to just, just take a couple of things, just for a moment, if you stay with me. This is, this is in... In, in uh, Portland. And, and I, I marvel at how these things happen. This is just in the last um, week, couple of weeks here. And it's in Portland, and the headlines to the article said this. Portland protesters burn Bibles, American flag outside the federal courthouse. Now, what was a spirit of disobedience became, becomes a spirit of lawlessness. So not only are they burning the flag, the symbol of the nation, but now they're going to burning Bibles. And to me, it's ironic that it was in Portland that Brother Branham cast out the demon. And it was important to recognize the demon that was cast out. 
Because the demon that came to Brother Branham in the meeting, and he, and he tells the story after, he says, the chief of the devils in that area made a challenge before God, and God accepted the challenge. So this was not just an idle demon, but this was a co coordinated move of that area, and a man that was demon-possessed or open to possession... He came up and challenged the prophet. But it was, look at the spirit behind it. Now, I, I, I'm just surmising, but I'm just saying, that spirit's still alive and well in Portland. It hasn't left Portland. I, this is the world around us. There was, when the whole black lives matter, and I've shared to you a little bit of the agenda I say every life matters. And I'd say this, whatever God has made us, say thank you, Lord. And not one is better than the other. We all have red blood. But there's, you've likely heard of this app called TikTok. And it's, it's an app that you can have on phones. But the article says this, and it was right at the time of this protest. In a TikTok protest, witches cast spells to hex the cops. Under the light of this week's full moon, this is in June 5th, at the very time this was starting, a group of witches of TikTok, or witch talk, if you will, are casting protection spells for protesters and against the cops. And it said, a week into the protest, these surprising array of subcultures have stepped up to help. Now, how many remembers that the gray horse ride was the coming together of political powers, religious powers, and demon powers? All coming together. Organizing under the tag, the hashtag, it says, under organizing under the hashtag of witches, for BIM, whatever that means, practicing witches are teaching others how to cast simple spells, draw signals, and manifest intentions. They use the TikTok user, Becky Does Life. This was in response to something or else. And it goes, in five days from putting this tag out, there were 10 million views. Now, we can be ignorant and say, oh, that's just this, is this. Friends, the demonic world that was spoken of in Revelations 18 is around us. It actually shows some pictures that I could never even begin to describe of some witches doing what they're doing. It says, using this, they can actually predict what will happen to cops after they cast their spells. Now you talk about a coming together. Babylon. Babylon. Hey, if we're in Babylon, we've heard a voice. Come out of it. Don't play with it. It's Babylon. It's set for destruction. Uh, there's so much to the article. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to a little bit of what brother, uh, brother sent me here. And this is in regards to another gathering. And this is 
It's, it's a gathering in a, in a city, in a place in, in uh, Switzerland called Davos. And they have a, a meeting of the elite of the world. And it, it's typically a lot of left-wing leaders, a lot of big players, billionaires. Uh, you can sign up to be a part of it. And they had a meeting in 2020, and now they're having one in 2021. They've just announced the agenda, and they're calling it the Great Economic Reset. And they're saying, we need to be, we need to operate our, because every nation in the world is in economic turmoil right now. And I, I could read, there's about three or four articles I have, and they said, we need to have a whole change in our thinking about how our economies must work together. And they include social agendas, the BGLTQYZ, XY, whatever thing it is. They include that. They include climate change. They, they have great leaders. And the special address last year was by one of the Pope's advisors. And he's actually speaking for it. The Pope who has been quiet now says, hey, I'll attend. I'll come. Now, he hasn't confirmed that yet, but he's actually giving addresses, saying, this is the right thing to do. Modern events made clear by prophecy. It's all heading up, friends. I, 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 there, there's more articles. When you, when you read what's going on, I'll tell you what, I, there is nothing here anymore. Now, let me just take Matthew 26. Let's go to John 18. This is still on Judas. John 18. So Judas, who now Jesus said, is it me, Lord? He said, thou hast said. And the scripture says Judas left to do what he had to do. Now in John chapter 18, it picks up a little more of the picture. Judas who was inside the camp. In, Ju in John chapter 17, there's a spirit that's on him. So John 18 verse 1, And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with the disciples over the brook Cedron. There he was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. He went there often. How do you know that? Verse 2. And Judas also, which betrayed him, he knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. And when he went there, he knew he was there. His next step were to gather those, hey, he's over here. He was operating under a spirit, not even knowing what he was doing. How do you say it? Not even knowing? Not even knowing. Back to Matthew 27 real quick. I've, I've got to jump along. Matthew 27. And we'll pick this up from verse 1. And when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people of the, took counsel to put Jesus to death. And when they had bound him, they took him, led him away. This is now he, Jesus been captured out of the garden. You know, if you ever read the account, they come to get Jesus. And they said, we've come to seek Jesus. And he says, I am he. And the scripture says, they all fell back. They did not expect him to give himself up. And, and, and so... Here, now Judas, 
And, 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 and they, they finally got Jesus. They bring him to the elders. Now here's Judas, verse 3. Judas, when he betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself. Now remorse sets in. Now he didn't realize what he was doing. Friends, I would just say, be careful of the stream that you're in. Because the stream becomes a river. And the river is becoming a torrent. Don't be caught in the torrent. Don't, I say, make sure where you're at. What spirit is governing your life? Okay, I brought all of that. There's so much I got to, but just, just quickly if, no, let me just read, a, let me take a scripture. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Now, you can go Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah talks about um, it identifies the spirit that was at the throne of God, desiring to be like the Most High, desiring to be, uh, uh, you know, to take the seat on the Mount Congregation. But now Ezekiel, he picks up another portion of this, and, and I'll, I'll come to Ezekiel's portion in the Scripture in a minute, but Ezekiel chapter 28, if you will, we'll go to verse 1. And in, in verse 1, here, everybody's there except for me. Ezekiel 28. Okay, here we are. If you read from verses 1 to 11, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and he calls him son of man, which is prophet. Speak to the prince of Tyrus. So he's identifying now by the word through the prophet, he's identifying a spirit that exists in a prince in another nation. And, and now, if I can just drop this in, Ezekiel was part of those that were carried into Babylon. And he's in Babylon, but we read this on Wednesday. Jeremiah was not just a prophet to Babylon, but he was, sorry, to Israel, but he was to Babylon and to the nations. And here's Ezekiel who is in there. Jeremiah never went there, he stayed in Jerusalem. But Ezekiel is there, and in this time of judgment of natural Babylon, here's Ezekiel, and God speaks to him. He says, See this nation over here? See Tyrus? He said, look at the spirit. Speak to it. said, because your heart is lifted up. And you have said, I am God. I sit in the seat of God. In the midst of the seas. Yet you're a man. You're not God. Though thine heart is as the heart of God. Now, I'm not going to read all the way up to verse 11. But he's beginning to identify a spirit. Friends, we're beginning to see what's coming together. And we're not just watching... In, in an intellectual realm, but we're watching by the Spirit that's within us. Now let's drop down to verse 12. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation unto the king of Tyrus. Not the prince. The king of Tyrus. Now, watch the words that the prophet begins to speak to this natural king that is there. And he says, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sun, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden in the garden of God. Now that king was never in Eden. But the spirit that was on that king, that was the same spirit that was in Eden. Now he's talking about this, Isaiah talking about the spirit up there. But that spirit came to earth. That spirit was in Eden. And that spirit still lives. And he says, 
You have been in Eden in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. If you take this language of verse 13 and you go over to Revelations chapter 18, it talks about precious stones, precious things that they're endowed with. It's the same spirit again on the earth today. And who can see it? None but the bridegroom and the bride. And he says, verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast on the holy mountain of God. Thou walkest up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy all thy ways, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, this language, compare it to Revelations 18. The merchandise of that city. And all of these things. Friends, it's the same spirit again. I'll tell you what, when I see these things, I start trembling sometimes. I'm in this world, but I am not of this world. Don't get too comfortable in it. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that thou must, that they may behold thee. Now, Sister Ruth, can you just give me that PowerPoint real quick? This is from, I took this on Wednesday, but I'll take it again just for a moment. And I have no idea where I left the thing. Okay, I'll just have to get you to go forward for me. So this is Israel. Next, please. This was Israel and its Eptimum. Next, please. This is the temple. This is when the temple was destroyed and God sent Israel into captivity. They went from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. And when they got to Babylon, I'm just going to focus on this part for a moment. And I don't have even the pointer, but I'll just use my hand. So this is a chronological order of all the books of the Bible, from Genesis to Joshua, Judges, the Kings, etc. Chronicles parallels that. There is some of the other books. So this is the chronological order that you see below. Then there's this gap of 70 years of exile. And in that gap just prior to it, we took Jeremiah and the Lamentations of Jeremiah. We took also that it was Daniel and it was Ezekiel that were prophets while they were in exile. Now, while they were in exile, it was God that was sending them to exile, but it was going to be with a promise of restoration. He told Jeremiah, who was weeping for the nation, and he said to Jeremiah, he says, go to your uncle. He says, Take and purchase this land, and when you purchase this land, seal it up in an earthen vessel. Now this is a type of the opening of the seals. Now this inspiration could only come as there was destruction. But at the same time there was destruction, there was also a promise of restoration. So this prophet, Jeremiah, caught it. There's going to be a restoration. But Jeremiah also caught the other spirits that were there. Then there was Ezekiel. Ezekiel catches the spirit. Ezekiel also begins to prophesy. And as Ezekiel begins to prophesy, it was in chapter 37, there's a valley of dry bones 
When did all these inspirations come? When they had repented. When they had come back to God. When they restored their altar. God is speaking to them as a natural nation. But this prophecy extends way beyond. It's amazing to me that even Daniel, who after 68 years at a certain time, he catches... There's a dispensational change. God's about to bring us back. And when he sets his heart before God, God not only shows him the short period of time, but he shows them all the rest of Israel. He reveals to him, in the last days, knowledge will be increased. He reveals to him Daniel 11, Daniel 12. It's, it's in that time frame that inspiration God is bringing is on a level that speaks to restoration. Now, give me just a few minutes here. There's three other books that are there. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and they parallel the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So Ezra and Nehemiah are natural accounts of what happened. When Ezra the priest went back. Nehemiah, when he went back to build, build the walls. But these natural events, and we read the scripture on Wednesday, it was when, when they were there. Okay, I'm going too fast. On a prophetic realm, there was Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now these are actually chronologically the last books in the Old Testament. But while they're in this process of restoration, some of the greatest prophecies right to this day are happening in this time frame. The book of Malachi that we read comes right down to our day. Zechariah talks about how in that day the prince will arise and the mountain will split. Zechariah talks about how Every family will be set apart and there'll be a mourning and there'll be a some speaking of this day we're living in. But the inspiration was right there. Yeah. Now these things pertain to Israel. What about our part? I'm going to just take one. I need you to go with me to the book of Ezra for a minute. And then I got a couple from Jeremiah and then we're going to be done. So Ezra, this is an Ezra what did I give you there, Sister Ruth? Ezra chapter, can you put that up for me? I didn't think I wrote it down either. I think, I, oh, here it is. I know where I want to go. Ezra 10, there we are. Ezra 10, let's just read from verse 1. Now when Ezra had prayed, he'd come back in the land. He'd come back under a burden. He had great struggles. When Ezra prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women, for the people wept very sore. And Shekinah, the son of Jekyll, one of the sons of Elam, he begins to say, we have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land, yet there's a hope in Israel. So here it's a marriage that they'd entered into that bloodstream was not to be mixed. One thing God cannot mix with is worldlyism. He can't mix with denominationalism. He can't mix with these things. It's impossible. Amen. We are the virgin bride of Christ. Amen. But yet here, there's a people that found themselves in sin and joined to it. 
Verse 3, look at, under this confession. Now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all our wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of God. Let it be done according to the law. So there's a separating happening in the midst of this. Drop all the way down to verse 16. It actually goes right to the priesthood and the children of the captivity and so. And Ezra, the priest with certain chief of the fathers and the house of the fathers, they, they, all of them by their names, they were separated. They sat down on the first day of the 10th month. 10-1. And they made an end with all the men that had taken strange wives by the first day of the first month. And there were found among the sons of the priests those that had taken strange wives. Let's just call them strange doctrines. Right in the priesthood. And Brother Branham says, in every age, the laity goes astray. The priesthood goes astray. They all need a cleansing. They all need a separating. Friends, it doesn't stop the minute you come into the message. You've got to separate from every idea, every thought of the world. God's going to have a pure bride. So, this is here, and now in verse 18. And among the sons of the priests there was found those that had strange wives, namely the, son of the sons of Joshua. Actually, Joshua was the high priest. was a priest that was there at that time. Jump over to Zechariah chapter 3 for a moment. Zechariah chapter 3. Now, Zechariah was the prophet, and the, and the Bible says in the book of Ezra, the people prospered through the prophesying of Zechariah and Haggai. Now, while this is there, while they're in sin, God is looking down from a prophetic realm. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now don't think for a moment that that devil isn't trying to resist us. Every one of us. Minister, I, I, I've said it to a few brothers, you look at the attacks that are happening on the ministry right now. And their families, and all the things that are going, that's the devil. We must be doing something right. <laughs> and in verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. So, from the realm of God, this is what he's looking at. He's not looking that way, but there's an inspiration from a prophetic realm that's coming on the ministry, coming on the people, but it's God that's sending it. The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? So Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And these answered and said unto him, Take away the filthy garments from him. I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And to the bride was given... 
not earned, to the bride was given, raiment white and pure, sent from God, the word of God that we're being dressed with. Now, I, I need to really, just, just stay with me. I'm going to hit this, and then we're going we're gonna to close now. I need you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. And this is Jeremiah, who also was in captivity. But under that captivity, there was inspiration coming forward that not only spoke to the negative, but to the positive. So we'll start and we'll go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm going to pick this up. I was going to go to make sure I got the right one. So if you read the whole context, and I've, I've gone through some of these and read them, but Jeremiah's talking about all the things that are coming upon in a destructive way. Now, just you need to go right back to Revelations 18. Come out of her, my people. I will cause to cease the voice of the bride and the bridegroom. Now, it was in a time of destruction that Jeremiah was there, and all of this was happening. Verse 34. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Now this is ever before there was going to be a bride and a bridegroom on the earth. But already he's prophesying that there will be a destruction and it's going to happen when the bride and the bridegroom are on the scene. Jump over again. We'll go to Isaiah chapter 16. Sorry, Jeremiah chapter 16. It's striking to me that this is in the Bible in several places like this. Verse 9. 16 verse 9. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes, in your days, the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. Again, what is it? What, 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 what is all these inspirations? It was Haggai who was a prophet right at this time. Haggai says, I will restore to this house her former glory. It was out of all this inspiration that it was coming forth. When inspiration comes, it's got to be picked up somewhere. I'll say we're living in the time when all that God has done through the Bible, through the going into the captivity, the coming through the captivity, the going out, it's going to be manifest in a greater way. Let's go to one more here. Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah being the prophet in Israel at that time. Jeremiah 25 verse 10. Well, let's just read, first of all, verse 11. Well, okay, hang on. I'll, I'll go back. I'll go back. Verse 9. Let's read there. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Now, sometimes we all like to take political sides. We often look at politics in the U.S., and we like to either be identified with the Republicans or the Democrats, but I'll just say both sides are wrong. But God's using one man there right now. Not that he's more righteous, but God's using him. 
And it was at the time of Babylon that God used the king of Babylon. And he says, I will take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants and against all the nations, and I will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolations. Now look at the spirit moving. Where are we? Babylon is here again. And I will take from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the candle. Right to where we are. God knowing it would come. Knowing that there would be a voice on earth at this time. Right in Babylon. How long will that voice be here? I don't know. But it must be declared. It must be spoken. Not just the bridegroom. The bride must speak. The same spirit is on her as on the bridegroom. And he says, furthermore, and this whole land shall be desolation and astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass that when the 70 years are accomplished, I will punish the king of Babylon. A few verses over, he was my servant, but now I'm going to punish him. Why? It's all around the bride. It's all around the bridegroom. I got this man there. I got this one there. You know the devil that, that chastens you? That he goes upon you? God says, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, there's none like him, but he says, you got a hedge about him. He says, okay, go ahead, take it. You know that devil that comes against you? He's going to be punished for coming against you. You, you desired evil intent, you're going to get it. You read the account of David. David, at the time he was taking the showbread, there was a man named Doeg. And the man Doeg reported David's coming to the priesthood to Saul, and Saul came and killed all those priests that gave David bread. There has to be a Doeg. There has to be a Judas. But there also has to be a bride and a bridegroom. That voice must be declared. And so while he's here, he goes and says, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, and the Lord, saith the Lord for their iniquity, and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it perpetual desolations. Now, you think that's three times. One more time. We're going to read one more scripture. Just stay with me. Go to Jeremiah 33. All of this comes out of that time. Jeremiah 33. Verse 10, you could read more of it, but as much as there was a seed that went in the ground, there has to be a seed come out. Thus saith the Lord, again there shall be heard in this place, which you say shall be desolate without man and without beast in the streets of Judah, the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man, without inhabitants, without beast. There will come again the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voice of them shall say, Praise the Lord of hosts, the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And of them they shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first, saith the Lord. Let the bridegroom come forth out of his chamber. Let the bride come forth out of her closet. Thou must prophesy again. There's got to be a voice. There's got to be something that comes in a people, even in the midst of Babylon. 
I probably didn't do justice to so Let's have the musicians come. We'll close the service at this point. I trust that you can garner an inspiration. If you take nothing else, I'd say feed on the message. Be under this atmosphere. Let the inspiration of God come out of your life and in your prayer chamber and in your walking and your doing. And I'll say, come out of Babylon and every system and every part of it. In God of this evil age, Brother Branham concludes the message and he says, and he's speaking and he actually refers to Revelations 18. God's going to judge this nation with fire. She'll sink beneath the ocean. The hour of his judgment is at hand. But he said, notice, God's word bride is heading up also. She is going, coming through this age. Coming to a head, she's going to be united to her mate. The church and everything has got to unite. The wheat and everything else has got to go back to where it started from. But the word bride must be headed up in the person of the word of God, made manifest in this evil age. Now, at the beginning of the message, he talks about, he says, the spirit of disobedience that became the spirit of a lawless, what will it be when it heads up in a person? And it will head up in a person. Then he concludes the message, and he says, also the word of God will be made up in a person, the many-membered body of Jesus Christ. There's so much, he says, the opposing spirits at work in this age. He said, the body, the bride... She is obedient in love. She's waiting for his word to be confirmed. The body is waiting for the life to come and make it alive. No other life will work in her. I'll tell you what, I'd rather, follow, I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything that I know. Let's stand together. I've kept you a little long. I really wanted to get to some of this. I probably took more time on the preliminaries, but I say, let God unfold it. May God make it real. I don't have all the answers, but God does. His Word does. His Word does. Everything that's in it, it's an inspiration to us. Joel prophesied there'll be a restoration. Joel, you read Joel chapter 2, he talks at the beginning about how there's going to be an evil time, it's going to be a wicked time, but he says it's that time God's great army will rise. We're part of that army, aren't we? Oh, man. Well, now I said that, I need to sing Joel's army. <laughs> Can we sing that? Are you good this, this morning? Stretch yourself. Limber yourself. Wake in your conscience. Let it come into your body and sing and clap your hands. <laughs> Where are we at? Babylon is fallen. But it's at that time Joel's army comes into view too. Joel's army comes in view. That's forward man.
to stand in the great word text. The first Eve failed because she failed to stand behind her bridegroom. This bride will not fail because she stands behind him. Every word, every word. I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm looking, I, I don't want to deviate in one way or the other because there is no safe place outside of this word. When COVID-19 hit, there wasn't a single quote in the message about it. Now, there was quotes that were inspirational. They'll come diseases. They'll come things. But yet, what do you do? And there's also other things that says, because fear comes on people. And it says, let the word stabilize you. Let it stabilize your thinking. Let it stabilize your actions and your thoughts. Where did that come from? Out of this message. What's the difference when you're holding this, not just here, but in here? When it's a part of you, and it's your fabric, and it's your being, and there's people, oh, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going to happen to my stocks. I don't know what's going to happen to the world. I don't know what's going to happen to my children. And yet you can walk. He said, I know the master of the wind. He walks with me, and He talks with me. There's an inspiration. There's an unfolding. A little girl, if God could give a little girl in a foreign land an inspiration, He ought to be doing that to a Holy Ghost-filled church. Fathers, you need that for your homes. Ministers, we need that for our churches. We need that for one another in dealing with one another. Let the Word stabilize you. I keep listening for a different sound. I keep listening for a different 
that John saw coming down. The sound of the bride being united with the groom. Sounds are 